We'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. It's on page 1,156. If you're going to use one of the blue Bibles that we have underneath the chairs in front of you. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear now God's holy and true word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed, By his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we now just ask that your spirit would fall fresh upon us. We pray that you will use this time in a mighty way to transform us. We pray that you will use this time to help us see the glory of your son and what he's done for us, what he's doing in us, what he's going to do in the future. Father, we pray that this would be a time where we are reminded of how great he is and equipped to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake and for the sake of the nations. Amen. We're continuing our sermon series on what we're calling the 2020 vision, which is a vision for our church to grow into over the next seven years. And uh, by the year 2020, we're hoping, we believe that by God's grace, we can be a church that would be described As a church where lives are always changing, where people are becoming Christians regularly, where needs are being met both in our body and around in the surrounding community, and people are getting so excited about what God is doing here, they're signing up to go elsewhere to reproduce in those places uh, what's happening here. And so we're talking about that and growing into that and letting God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And to do that, we've been talking about focusing on four things, four things, gospel transformation, gospel proclamation, gospel demonstration, and gospel multiplication. 
And these are the four things that we're going to focus on as a church for the foreseeable future because we believe that when we look at Jesus' earthly ministry, these are the things we see him doing. Last week we talked about gospel transformation. So if you weren't here, you can go online and download that sermon. And we talked about how uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God transforms us to be more like Christ in every aspect of our being and the joy that that gives us. This week we'll talk about gospel proclamation. Next week we'll talk about demonstration. And then the last week of the series we'll talk about multiplication. And I'm excited. Um, I had a great question last week after the service. A woman came up to me and she said, um, I'm excited about what's going on, but I have a question. Uh, she said, when I look at the diagram, it sort of looks like transformation is first and then proclamation and demonstration and multiplication. Is that like the order? Because don't people sort of have to hear the gospel and believe and then become transformed and so on and so forth? And I said, yes, you're exactly right. And she thought that it may be important that I explain that this is the vision for you and I who have called Jesus Lord. This is a vision for you and I who have heard the gospel, believe the gospel. Now we're part of a church and we want to go forward living the life that Christ has called us to live. Okay, so the order of events would be a little different. And here's how that would look. You would, somebody hears the gospel. You need to hear the gospel in order to then believe the gospel. And after you believe the gospel, the next step for you is to join what we might call a gospel community or a church. And that's when you would begin to live according to the gospel. So that's when you would move into uh, this vision that we're talking about. So this is a vision for you and I who are following Christ and how we can do the things that we believe Christ has called us to and empowered us to do. The staff and I have been calling this the cross-shaped life. Because when you think about the uh, diagram, then it's really, it's living a life of transformation that we are coming to church, being part of our life group, having a devotional life, personal and family devotional life, so that we're being transformed. And then flowing out of that, we want to be people who are living lives of proclaiming the gospel with our words and demonstrating the gospel with our deeds. And the result of proclamation and demonstration is multiplication. So it's really the life of a disciple. So this is the picture of the life that we want to be living as individuals, a life of transformation, proclamation, demonstration, multiplication, so that uh, we're living the life that uh, a disciple lives. So that's, I wanted to make sure we understand that. And it's very important that we understand that because the reality is one of the reasons that uh, gospel uh, proclamation or, or one of the reasons we have to understand the order of events is because proclamation is how the word goes. Proclamation is how the gospel gets to people. So here's your gospel fact for today. Proclamation is sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with people, hoping for their conversion and incorporation into a church or a local church. So when you hear the word proclamation, gospel proclamation, uh, that's what you want to be thinking, that it's sharing the gospel, it's communicating to people, what Jesus has done and what that means for you and me. And the hope is, our hope is that they will become a Christian, that they will put their faith in Christ. So we're hoping for their conversion. And then Christ does not save people out of the world and into nothing. He saves them out of the world and into his church. And so the incorporation into a local church is a key part of understanding what we mean when we say proclamation. 
So when, we, when we're using that word, that's what we need to be thinking about. And here's the thing. Proclamation is absolutely necessary. It's got to happen. Paul says in Romans 10, uh, 14 through 17, he, here's what he says. He says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then a little later he says, so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so ultimately the, what scripture teaches is that when people put their faith in Christ, it's because they hear the gospel, that gospel presentation, that uh, version of what Christ has done is accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates the heart of that person and they believe. But proclamation is necessary. They've got to hear the gospel. How'd you become a Christian? Some of you, I would imagine, your parents told you. Others of you probably heard the news in college. Maybe some of you even later in the life, later in your life heard from a friend. But you did hear it. And that's the thing. The gospel goes out in words. And let me tell you, people don't know what the gospel is. I don't know how many times we've gone to uh, with youth trips or other things uh, that I've been a part of at this church in this city where we go and we just ask people, do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what the good news is about Jesus Christ? And invariably they say things that are not the gospel. I remember one time I asked a a woman, "What, what do you think the gospel is? And she said, well, it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I said, that's that's actually not the gospel. Uh, Jesus said that, but that's not the gospel. Other times you hear them simply just saying, try to be good or try to be a good person or do what Jesus said or whatever. You never hear the gospel. They don't know. And I think one of the mistakes that I make, and I would imagine many of us make, is we sort of assume people know what we mean when we're talking about the gospel. They don't know. But we get to tell them. Uh, So one of the things we've got to be very clear on as a church is what is the gospel. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We need to know why it is good news that Jesus did what he did. Um, And one of the ways that we can do that is to be reminded of bad news. Uh, Sometimes if you're going to get good news, you like to get the bad news first. And so let's just remember the bad news. The bad news is there's a lot of suffering in this world. This is kind of one of the ways I think we ought to look at this today, to to recognize there's so much suffering in the world. And we could probably say that there's three primary causes of suffering. There's suffering now, and because of the sin of mankind, there will be suffering forever for those who are not found in Christ at the end of days. And so one of the main reasons or one of the big reasons that people are suffering now and will suffer forever is guilt. You and I have guilt. All human beings have guilt. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all done things that God says is against his law and therefore we deserve his just wrath. So we all have guilt. We have, uh, we owe God the, to pay the penalty of sin. And that's scary. We know that justice exists and it is so frightening that we try to get out from underneath it. We pretend like we're not guilty, but all of us struggle with guilt. We know there's a penalty for the mistakes that we've made. Here's how you know you suffer with guilt. Uh, every time you're regretting something, I can't, I can't believe I did that. That's guilt. And it weighs on you and causes you to suffer, causes me to suffer. Another uh, reason, cause of suffering is corruption. And I'm talking about the corruption of our very nature, we are, our, our natures are corrupt. When Adam and Eve 
sin. They fell under the power of sin. And so human beings not only have done things that they regret, but they do things that they hate. Our sin nature causes us to continue to do things that hurt others, that hurt us, that don't glorify God, that don't benefit people. And it gets to be so frustrating when you keep falling into the same sin patterns. And so we suffer because of that. There's people in this room who are just devastated about things they've done. There's people in this room who on top of that are just so desperately wanting to not fall into those things again. We suffer because of that. Uh, third is evil. Evil is real. There are religions that tell you just to pretend like evil's not real. That's ridiculous. Evil is real and it hurts. And it's a real thing. Uh, because people are under the power of sin, we live in the presence of sin. There are people committing sins all the time. You're committing sins, so are others. Some of these sins are absolutely horrific. Some of you have had things done to you that should not have been done to you. I've had things done to me that should not have been done to me and so I have suffered because of the sins of others you have suffered because of the sins of others people have suffered because of your sins people have suffered because of my sins so there is evil we do evil things and we suffer because of that people blow up churches people walk into elementary schools and open fire people tell lies about each other people do all sorts of just evil things So we suffer. And it's not supposed to be that way. And so uh, Jesus comes to earth and he suffers too. And then he says in the passage that we looked at today that you will be my witnesses. That's what he says to his followers. You will be my witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is somebody who testifies to the truth. There's somebody who has some sort of testimony. And so Jesus tells his followers that you guys are going to testify to the world. You are the ones who will tell the world something. Now, when you think about this, yes, these apostles were eyewitnesses to what happened to Jesus on the cross when he was paying for sin. But this word witness really carries with it uh, the fact that they have something to say. They have this testimony. And it's, uh, it's so important that we understand that it's like a, um, think of an expert witness in a court case. An expert witness may not have actually seen the crime that happened, but what the expert witness says at the court case bears on the verdict that is come to at the end of the court case. Okay? And the disciples were told that you guys will be like the expert witnesses. You will bring information to the world that will affect the verdict on the day that all human beings stand before the judgment seat of God. The greatest information ever disseminated. Now, so if you think about this, one way for us to understand the testimony of the disciples would be this, that Jesus suffered... In order to end the suffering of everyone who would enter the kingdom of God through faith in Christ. We talk a lot about how we're saved by grace 
through faith. It's not because of anything that we do. But when God gives us the gift of faith and we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior by faith, we become part of the kingdom of God. And ultimately what history is moving toward is the day when Christ returns, as this passage says he will, and makes all things new. And then suffering ends completely forever. For those that are in the kingdom of God. And so you could say that Jesus came to fight suffering with suffering. And it's almost like, you know, there, there's an old saying to fight uh, uh, fire with fire. And there's there's methodology on fighting, particularly forest fires. Occasionally, if a forest fire is really moving out of control, they will light a fire in front of it and burn an area and then put it out so that when the raging forest fire comes to that area, it stops because there's nothing left to burn there. That's fighting fire with fire. And what we see is that Jesus came to fight suffering with suffering. It is a result of his suffering and death on the cross that puts to death our suffering, some now and then all of it later. So let's talk about the gospel. When we talk about the gospel there's three primary doctrines that we, we keep hovering around, and that is justification and sanctification and glorification. And I know these are big words, big churchy words, but they're in the Bible, so we've got to know what they mean so that when we're reading the Bible and we see a word like sanctification, we know exactly what that means, or justification, we know exactly what that means, glorification. But ultimately, the beauty and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that what he did on the cross provides these things things for us to end our suffering. We suffer because we're guilty, but in Christ, through faith in Christ, we receive justification, which is the forgiveness of all of our sins and the declaration of righteousness from God the Father. And so we're free from the penalty of sin. We'll never suffer because of our sins. He suffered in our place. And we talk about the doctrine of sanctification, which is that that power that sin has over us is is reduced by Christ. He subdues the sinfulness in us. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit to grow and become people we never thought possible and to overpower some of these things that we've always wanted to stop doing. But we've never had the power before. That's what sanctification is. It's this power over sin sets us free from the power of sin. And then glorification as well. Glorification is ultimately uh, about our bodies. The Bible says that uh, when Christ returns and makes all things new, you and I who believe, who are in the new heavens and new earth, we will receive brand new bodies, our old bodies, resurrected, in perfect health, can't get sick, can't get hurt, and we can't sin either. And neither can anybody else who's with us. So we are delivered into a place where we're going to live. We're perfect. We can't sin. We just do everything perfectly, glorifying God. And it's and it's our whole life is a constant act of worship. And we're living with people who are remade in the image of God. They're perfect too. And so it's perfect people living in the perfect place in perfect harmony with our perfect God. It's perfect. I mean, can you even imagine? No, we can't. Paul says we can't even, even imagine what that's going to be like. But it's going to be like that when he returns. And so our suffering through the gospel, through what Christ has done, when we hear this, our suffering in this life is reduced and then we're on a journey knowing that one day it's gone. All those things that hurt you so deeply, even now, gone. 
And it's just the beginning. That's the thing is we want to understand that the, the gospel is more than these things. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing or we've, we're continuing to do as a church is to, to, to look at the preach or look at the word of God through the preaching and through life groups and things. And it's, it's all about continuing to understand all the amazing ways the gospel impacts our lives and the lives of all the people who hear it and believe it. Um, Dr. Steve Childers over at RTS likes to say that the gospel's like a diamond. It's multifaceted. You know, when uh, a young lady gets engaged and she shows you her ring, and that's, apparently that's how you're supposed to do it, ladies. Just see that? Okay. And the reason that you do that is because a diamond has all these cuts and facets, and the, as you move it and, and, ch- and change its location, it shines different and it shimmers different, and you see all those facets and you say, ooh, pretty and so the reality is that's like the gospel the gospel is like a multifaceted diamond it's not just those three things it's so much more it's also it's not just about being justified and accepted by god or sanctified and changed to a new person by god or glorification uh, being fully restored it's about election it's about you were chosen there's nothing worth anything in you that god would choose but he did anyway he chose you in christ and to be part of the new humanity the new community there's propitiation where we're reconciled we are we have a perfectly reconciled relationship with God. He loves us. Uh, We have the doctrine of adoption. We become God's children. He loves us like a father, a perfect father. Uh, We have the doctrine of regeneration where we get a new heart that wants to obey God, can obey God. We have redemption, uh, which is being delivered from the slavery that sin had over, once had over us. I mean, it just, and that's not all. It, it just keeps on going. So as we continue to go forward as a church, every week we're really uh, looking at the Word of God to see some more of those facets shine. I love the Bible. Okay. This is the reality. The gospel, therefore, is really is good news for all people. Uh, people are oppre- they're, they're persecuting the church all over the world. The oppression is beginning to weigh here as people uh, call us names. We're starting to move into a time where the church is feeling a little more pressure than it has in a long, long time, maybe ever in America. But still, the gospel is good news for everyone. Because everyone's guilty, everyone's corrupted in their nature, everyone's experiencing evil, everyone needs salvation. It really is good news if people hear it and believe it. If they hear it and believe it. And therefore, this is why we want everyone to know and to own that a huge part of following Christ is learning to participate in what we're calling gospel proclamation. We've got to uh, have in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ, the fact that we are the ones, we are the witnesses, we are the ones with the information, we are the ones that need to use our words to proclaim to the world, to our neighbors and to the nations that Jesus is Lord and that he is Savior. And, and you know, the, the part of the reason I think the church is struggling in our country is we've lost that evangelistic push. We have somehow been duped and we sort of feel like Jesus died to make us nice. Jesus didn't die to make you nice. He died to make you glorious. And he sends you to tell the world 
that that news is for them too. And I want you to think about this because when I started realizing this, it changed some things for me. What is your testimony? Um, I think a lot of us would say, when I give my testimony, here's what I say. I was a bad person and then I put my faith in Christ and now I'm a good person. Sound familiar? And that's okay because that's true. We see in the New Testament, clear as a bell, there are uh, um, plenty examples of people who go through an incredible moral transformation. Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, all sorts of, we see it, right? But I want you to think about this. What we see way more is the missional transformation of people. What is Peter's testimony? Think about that for a second. Those of you who are familiar with your New Testament, what is Peter's testimony? What is James' testimony? John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, the other James, Thaddeus, Simon. What are these guys' testimonies? You'd almost think they're not in the New Testament, but they are. Their testimony is they were not a witness to the glory and majesty and beauty and power and mercy of God in Christ. And then they became witnesses to the world of the beauty and glory and majesty and mercy and love of God in Christ. That's the primary transformation that is made. Yes, we grow morally. Amen for the moral side of our sanctification and transformation. But the big transformation that we see in the lives of the followers of Jesus is they go from not being a witness to being a witness from not being on mission to being on mission from not leading people to Christ to leading people to Christ from not doing proclamation to doing proclamation. Amen. Okay. And here's the good news. Everybody who believes in Christ is able to proclaim the gospel in some way. And I know there are some of you probably right now thinking, oh, I don't know. This is evangelism. I don't know if I, I don't know if I've, I've seen evangelism done certain ways. I don't like and I don't want to do that. You know, and trust me, there are many ways to do this. There are many ways for us to proclaim and participate in the proclamation of the greatest news ever to leave a human's mouth. There are multiple ways. So don't think you know exactly what. I'm saying just yet, and we'll get to that in time. The main thing I'm trying to communicate this morning is the need for us to be doing that. The, and the reality that we're all able. How are we able? Because the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is in you and me. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you and me to empower us to do things we maybe never thought we would ever do. Now, sometimes uh, we like to say, well, it's not my gift. Evangelism is good and all, but it's not my gift. Uh, that's pretty much most of us. Uh, let, me, let me show you something. Okay? Acts 1.8 talks about receiving power and being a witness, but Acts 8... One says something pretty interesting. It says that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. 
the gifted guys stayed in Jerusalem and all the normal people like you and me ran out to Judea and Samaria, which was step two, remember? Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then the ends of the earth. So God uses the ordinary people like you and me to do proclamation. Okay, some of you will be very gifted in this. And we will celebrate it and we will say, yeah, that that woman is amazing at sharing the gospel. But still, all of us can do it. Some of us may be gifted, but all of us can participate in gospel proclamation. Um, Some of you are aware that Hannah and I had to make a little trip to the emergency room. It's our third in three years. Um, And because when you have children, you get to have a relationship with the hospital. Um, and that's the thing. It's like when you, when, when the child, when it's one of your children is hurt, uh, you, you know, you want to help them. Uh, and so you do whatever you can. And if it's really bad, then you can't do anything. But a lot of times when our kids come up to us, uh, if I'm home, um, you know, if it's a little scrape on the knee or a little, uh, you know, skinned elbow or something. Basically, as long as there's not a lot of blood, because you know where I am if there's blood, right? Passed out. But um, if if it's like a little thing, um, you know, like let's say Noah skins his knee, and I take him, and I sit him up on the counter in the bathroom, and I pour the little peroxide on there, and it bubbles, and we giggle, and um, and then I sing this song, which I'm going to do. Maybe I should have asked my wife, but I sing this. When it's not so bad, we go to Dr. Dad. When it's not so bad, we go to Dr. Dad. If it's bad, we are going to the ER. But if it's not so bad, we go to Dr. Dad. Band it on. Okay, so. But I want you to realize now. Um, if Noah came up to me with a little skinned knee and I said, not my gift. I can do basic training. Lydia needed stitches. I said, not my gift. Okay, not my gift. Hannah, take that child to the hospital. I will be passed out. Um, So yes, in a situation that that large amount of service is needed. I can't help. But you know what? I can always do the basic stuff. You know why? That's right. In fourth grade, I went through BAT, basic aid training. I've got a patch, put it on my Leatherman jacket in high school. I'm just kidding. Um, but I've been, I went through basic aid training, which was basically how to take a bandaid out of a wrapper and spray some solar cane on it or something. But either way, I can do the basic stuff uh, because it's basic. It's simple. I don't need to be gifted to put a band-aid on a skinned knee. And I want you to understand, um, some of us may grow to be very gifted in evangelism, but we can all do the basics. We can all, every single one of us, address with people the most basic parts of the gospel that addresses the suffering that they're feeling because of their guilt and their fear of death which they should have and addresses the suffering that they have from not being able to change and the suffering that they have from living in a world where evil is always attacking them. We don't need to be gifted. 
We just need to be willing. We just need to be willing. Everybody can do this. That's what we need to leave here knowing is that everybody can do this. Everybody, every person who believes in Jesus can do this and we're going to do this. Now, our job, our being pastors and leaders of the church is we're going to provide training. I'm not standing here saying, go to evangelism right now. What are you waiting for? No, that's not, I'm not taking that approach. Okay, what I'm saying is we're going to learn how to do proclamation. We're going to learn how to share the gospel. We're going to provide training through our life groups, through seminars, through one-on-one discipleship. We're going to get it out there and get it in you. Those of you who are proficient at sharing the gospel, we're going to want you to help teach. Those of you who have never shared the gospel, which if our church is the same as most churches, could be as many as 67% of us. We're going to learn. So it's your job to learn. It's your job to be willing to learn, saying, yes, I want to learn how to do this. I want to learn how to proclaim the gospel. I want to learn how to share this amazing good news. I'm scared to death, but I I want to do this. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to give you power. It's the Holy Spirit's job to give you that courage. And I'm telling you, when you learn how to simply uh, explain the gospel to people, you know what seems to follow? Courage. We've seen it in the youth. We'll see it all over. It's just amazing how God uh, empowers us, changes us, transforms us. And when we begin to see many more of us out there sharing the gospel, that's when we're going to see many more people, new people becoming Christians up here, rows of them ready to be baptized into the church. It's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be because you did it, not me. (laughs) So excited. Amen again. Amen. Okay. Here's some more proof. Jesus proved he'd been alive. I'm going to prove to you this happens. Um, Peter. Peter's testimony is outstanding. It's not, I was a bad person and I became a good person. It is, I was a coward. Three times I denied that I even knew Jesus. And then... You got your Bible still open? Turn to Acts 4 real quick with me. If you don't, open it back up. You need to see this. Acts chapter 4. Let's look at verses 8 through 13. Peter comes out of the gate after the resurrection, man. He's like, boom, he's on fire and he's preaching all these sermons. And again, not everybody's going to be preaching uh, to the extent that Peter did. But I want to show you something here. You've got the the, the greatest coward becoming something uh, phenomenal here, all because of the Holy Spirit. Ready? Acts 4, 8 through 13. I need to turn the page. And we're off. He, uh, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, they had just healed a guy. And so there were people kind of giving them, giving them some flack about that. Okay, so a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that the, by the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's cowardly Peter boldly proclaiming the gospel of God because of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him. Look what the people say. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, 
they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I mean, this happens. This happens. Okay? And it's going to happen uh, with us as we continue to focus on gospel proclamation, as we as a church work together to help each other learn how to do these, even the simplest of gospel presentations. Will we leave it at simple? No. We'll go deeper all the time. But we're going to get there and get to the point where we are proclaiming the gospel on a regular basis. And that vision, uh, we're going to keep moving towards this, this cross-shaped life that we're talking about. A life where we're being transformed, not just morally, but missionally. And so therefore, we're getting get better and better at gospel proclamation and using our words to tell people the greatest news ever uttered. And then we're also going to be growing in gospel demonstration, which we'll talk about next week, living sacrificial and and doing things, risking things so that people's needs can be met. And we'll see the result of that. We'll see the multiplication and we'll say, isn't he amazing? Isn't he amazing? Look what he's doing. Isn't he amazing? Let me read something to you. J. Campbell White, one of my favorite quotes. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. Those who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless Rewards. And when we grow in our ability to proclaim more and more and we see those priceless rewards up here ready to be baptized or to profess their faith if they were baptized as as a child, we're not going to know what to do with ourselves other than throw our hands up and worship the king. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, humbled Um, and amazed that you would look upon ordinary people like us and love us and forgive us in Christ, give us the gift of faith, restart our hearts, promise us a future and a hope, and then also involve us in how you tell more and more people on this planet that you have chosen them. Father, we pray for an incredible harvest. We want to see many, many souls saved. We want to see many, many people set free from their guilt, set free from the power that sin has over them. And we want many people to join us as we await the return of our conquering king who will return, make all things new, including us, and we will be perfect with you forever. Let us have that vision of all nations worshiping God together. Let let that be what gets us up in the morning and let that be what fuels our fire to learn how to proclaim and then to do it. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen.